science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen, and oxygen, and nitrogen, and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium, vanadium, and lanthanum, and osmium, and astatine, and radium, and gold, protactinium, and indium, and gallium, and iodine, and thorium, and thulium, and thallium. Welcome aboard. Got some good news for you. You know that over the uh, last little while, on rare occasions, we've been plagued by technical problems. Well, we have a new system going here, and uh, hopefully all those problems will be avoided. And you will not hear me as if I'm a mile away from the speaker or I am heavily breathing into the speaker. So let's see how this uh, works out. Let's get things going. You, way. here are a couple of questions for you. What is the only bird that can fly backwards? That's one question. And another one, it's about a hormone that has two names. One stems from the gland where it is produced and the other from the location of that gland in the body. I want both names. Okay, so if you didn't catch that, let me repeat. First one, simple, straightforward. What is the only bird that can fly backwards? The next one is about a hormone. And this hormone has two names. One of them comes from the gland where it is produced and the other from the location of that gland in the body. I want you to name both of those names. All right, for those of you who may be new to the show, you're listening to... Joe Schwartz, I'm the director of McGill University's Office of Science Society. My background is in chemistry. And here we have a mandate to separate myth from fact, sense from nonsense. And uh, we try to do that in many different ways, including on our website, which is uh, mcgill.ca slash OSS. That's also the place to go to sign up for a free weekly newsletter. And um, this past week, I did uh, a talk uh, for uh, an American organization. Uh, it's a skeptics organization. And uh, I think it was a pretty well-received talk. And I talked about all kinds of pseudoscience and nonsense. And uh, it's for the Center for Inquiry. But you can see it now. I put the link on my Facebook page, and it is also on our website. So you can take a look there, and uh, I think you may enjoy that talk as much as I enjoyed putting it together, because I have lots of interesting examples of uh, of pseudoscience, which is always, uh, uh, I think, uh, entertaining. Uh, this morning on the trivia show, and I always ask a question there uh, to be elaborated upon in the afternoon, and let me do that right now. <clears throat> I asked about the forerunner of a substance to something that is now found in our kitchens, and I refer to that as salt of hartshorn, which uh, since the Middle Ages was made by taking shavings from the antler of a red deer. And the male red deer is also called the heart, H-A-R-T. That's why uh, spirit of uh, heart's horn and salt of heart's horn are the, the expressions. And I was asking what uh, salt of heart's horn 
was the forerunner too that we can find in our modern kitchens and the answer to that is baking soda now let me tell you a little bit about this when you take uh, uh, the antler of the deer and grind it up and heat it a gas is produced and that gas is ammonia it comes from the breakdown of proteins in the antler and what is left behind is a residue that was referred to as the salt of um of the of the antler and uh, this was something that that was uh, uh used at that time uh for various reasons uh especially starting in the uh, in the 1800s this stuff that was left behind when uh, the antler was subjected to high heat was used as a leavening agent because when you heat this salt of hartshorn which today we know is ammonium carbonate it releases ammonia and ammonia is a gas that tries to escape the the dough and it causes it to rise it's a leavening uh, agent uh, this uh, was essentially displaced in 1846 with the introduction of uh, uh, sodium bicarbonate sodium bicarbonate was uh, an interesting uh, uh, product and it was uh, as i said commercially uh, introduced in in 1846 and it was the uh, really the brainchild of dr austin church and his brother-in-law john dwight and this duo capitalized on the discovery by German pharmacologist Valentin Rose that sodium bicarbonate can be produced by reacting sodium carbonate, known as washing soda, uh, with uh, carbon dioxide. And sodium carbonate itself had become available at that time thanks to Nicolas Leblanc's 1791 discovery that it forms when sodium sulfate that is made by reacting salt with sulfuric acid is treated with limestone and leblanc trained as a surgeon but he switched to chemistry when the french academy of sciences offered a prize for the production of sodium carbonate which was much needed for the manufacture of glass and soap and he rose to that challenge now church and dwight knew that sodium bicarbonate when heated releases carbon dioxide gas and promoted it as an alternative to yeast as a leavening agent <clears throat> they suggested that it was even more effective when combined with an acid since bicarbonate reacts with acids to quickly release carbon dioxide gas and of course any student who has ever made a baking soda vinegar volcano will know that sour milk contains lactic acid and was an ideal agent to trigger the release of carbon dioxide and uh, this explains why Church and Dwight adorned the box of their baking soda with the picture of a cow. And we're, of course, familiar with cow brand baking soda. In the meantime, over in England, chemist Alfred Bird had a problem. His wife was allergic to yeast and could not eat bread. He wondered if there was a way to make bread without yeast. As a chemist, he, of course, was familiar with sodium bicarbonate reacting with acid, but the acidity of sour milk was variable. 
he was prompted to look for a solid acid that when dissolved would liber liberate uh, carbon dioxide from sodium bicarbonate. And Bird found it in cream of tartar, that is potassium hydrogen tartrate. That's a sediment that forms when grapes ferment into wine. And this worked. Mrs. Bird was happy, but the two chemicals had to be separately measured before being combined in the dough. Harvard chemist Eben Horsford, who trained in Germany under famed Justus von Liebig, knew about the tartrate reaction. But cream of tartar was expensive since it was imported from Europe, and there was the issue of the need for precise measurement of the bicarbonate and the cream of tartar. The first problem was solved by replacing cream of tartar with calcium hydrogen phosphate, produced by digesting bones with sulfuric acid. The second problem Horsford solved by pre-measuring the two ingredients and combining them in the same packet. In order to prevent them from reacting prematurely, he added cornstarch to keep them apart, and baking powder was born. With business partner George Wilson, Horsford established Rumford Chemical Works. Uh, he named it after Count Rumford, who pioneered studies of heat transfer, and he had endowed the Harvard chair that Horsford occupied. Rumford baking powder is still around today. So is Baker's ammonia, the modern name for salt of hartshorn, although no longer produced from deer antlers. It's ammonium carbonate made by combining carbon dioxide with aqueous ammonia, and it is <clears throat> preferred by bakers who claim that it produces a superior texture in classic low moisture cookies like pfeffernus or gingerbread and uh, for people who don't want don't like the whiff of ammonia in their kitchen of course they can always use baking powder you're listening to the dr joe show Okay, I did have an answer to my question about the bird that can fly backwards. I don't think you had too much trouble with that one. That's the hummingbird. <clears throat> but on the other hand, I do not have an answer to the other question I posed about the hormone that has two names, one stemming from the gland where it is produced and the other from the location of that gland in the body. So that is still out there. <clears throat> but... Uh, I do have a special guest here today, and uh, we're going to talk about something that is of interest to so many of us these days, uh, the restaurant business, and why costs are increasing, and what can be done. And I have as my guest Silvio Sicoli. Many of you may know Mr. Sicoli because he's the owner of uh, the restaurant in old Montreal, Bonaparte. He's also a hotelier. He owns a number of hotels. He was executive director of Mount Stevens Club, and uh, he is well-versed in the restaurant business. So, Silvio, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Schwartz. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the, short, uh, on the show. Okay. <laughs> so, we're going to chat a little bit about the restaurant business, which is a, a fascinating uh, business. So uh, you you uh, 
own uh, Bonaparte restaurant, which is a well-known restaurant in in Montreal. How yeah. did that come up? How did that come about? How did you get into restaurant ownership? Well, I started off uh, many years ago being in the hospitality business. I started off in uh, in reception halls, and uh, from there I had a passion. Uh, running hotels and uh, restaurants obviously it's all in the same field um for myself uh it was nothing other than falling in love with with a business that uh, i wake up in the morning and it's like i'm retired i'm going to to my job that i love i have a big passion for it and instantly when i when i went into the kitchen or i go into the dining room or i go into the rooms of the hotel it's my passion. I love it. It uh, started as a young man. So uh, really, that's how I got got started in the business. Well, I can attest to your passion because we actually met when we were both judges at McGill's Iron Chef Contest when uh, students prepared meals. And uh, it was all a uh, part of, uh, you know, a very interesting contest. And boy, you know, we all enjoyed the food. And I saw that uh, you were a very good critique and, and you obviously love, love food. I, now, I, I these... love... Sorry, <laughs> yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry, no, sorry. So these days, uh, of, of course, uh, there is issue about the cost of food. <clears throat> so one thing I want to ask you is being in the restaurant business, <clears throat> how do you decide what the market will bear well it's 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 if you're looking at french cuisine which we have at bonaparte we will always try to get the freshest the most amazing ingredients and uh, for, for us if it's if it's beef it has to be the best quality if it's not the best quality we will not buy it um, second to that is, as far as the price goes, if we realize that we pay a piece of filet mignon $15 a portion, we realize that we should minimum times three, uh, so $45. But that even that won't be enough because by the time you calculate all the expenses, and today the labor has gone through the roof, and you're looking at the taxes, et cetera, et cetera, in a business. So we'll try to market three and a half, four times of what it actually costs. Some people will turn around and say, "Well, I buy a plate, of, I buy a pack of pasta at a dollar eighty, and they're making four portions." And you look at them and you laugh and you say, "You're not getting it." Uh, I wish it were that simple because restaurants will make anywhere from six to twelve percent on 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 the bottom line of net. So you really have to love to be into this business. If not, there's you're not going to become a multi-millionaire owning a restaurant. That's for sure. Now, uh, you you mentioned about labor costs. Yes. Uh, wh what do waiters make these days? Well, a waiter will make anywhere from fifteen to twenty dollars an hour, based on their experience. But uh, their money that they make is not really. Give you an example, Bonaparte. I never have a problem staffing the the front of the house, which is the waiters, because. There is, it's a very renowned restaurant. It's been there for over 35 years. It's a restaurant that has a high-end clientele. Therefore, when you say that, it's the tips are more like 18 to 20% of the bill. So if a bill is, an example, $500 uh, for a table of three, you will realize that they're, they're making an average of 18 to 20%. So it's, it's, it's sufficient money for a waiter. Uh, so I don't have a problem staffing the front of the house. 
although in the kitchen it's become very, very problematic today in the industry of restaurants. We had and we will continue having the situation of uh, not being able to staff according to what we would like to have. Uh, is that because there are just no people available or there are no trained chefs available? It, it's a bit of both, but mm -hmm. the real problem is is that these young kids come out and they're promised all kinds of stuff from their teachers or whether it's from from the industry itself because their teachers will be honest with them. Uh, you know, I've worked with uh, Derek Kersey, which is a teacher at Pius, and he will tell them, he will say, you, you are not worth more than... $20 an hour to start, $18 an hour. But they come out of the market, and because there's so many people missing, they're offered $23, $24, $25 an hour. But when the time comes that they go actually go work, they're going to be disappointed because the owner will tell them, you have to take a, a little bit of a step back because you're not at the level that I expected it. For you what, is the, what is the capacity of your restaurant? My restaurant holds 157 people, uh, Bonaparte. Epic, uh, which is the Le Poulisson, holds an average of uh, 52 people. And then I have another one, which is uh, uh, Uville, which is uh, a, it's a wine bar style, uh, which holds 36 uh, people. So let's say for, for Bonaparte, where you have uh, 170 capacity, let's say on a popular night like Saturday night, how many people would you have working in the kitchen? In the kitchen, I'll have an average of eight. And on the floor, I'll have about... 12, between uh, 11 to 12. So on in, in the dining room, 11 to 12. So it's about more now, or less about 20 people uh, working for us that Saturday just for the restaurant. Right. And now in, in the kitchen, how many of those would be professionally trained chefs? Oh, every single one of them is basically has gone through uh, an extensive uh, program of some sort from, from start to, 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 to finish. Uh, and um, our chefs are basically, uh, all of them have taken courses, all of them have worked uh, numerous places, or some are, one of our chefs has started there and, and then has went to, uh, to culinary school and then is back there as, as a chef. So, but most so for, exa for example, I mean, you, you must have <clears throat> some meals on the menu which can be pre-cooked and some which have to be prepared just when it's ordered. Uh, it, it, that... If it's a braised beef, we will we will braise it halfway, and then we will finish it uh, on demand. But if it's not, it everything is made like you know. Obviously, we make our own homemade smoked salmon. That of course is smoked beforehand, and and we smoke it every second day. But uh, mainly, our filet mignons are fresh. Uh, our our uh, confit of duck is uh, is uh, is made obviously uh, cooked halfway, and then we finish it off. Yes, at the so right temperature. How do you how do you roughly predict the the uh, dishes that will be served, let's say, on a Saturday night, so that that you don't get left with uh, stuff? Well, because the the meats that are that are cooked fresh, like filet mignon, um, braised beef, the braised beef, like the the lamb shank, which is it has to be cooked in advance halfway because if not, you cannot prepare a lamb shank that needs to be cooked in the oven four hours al minute. It's impossible, physically not possible. Uh, so those portions, those are all portions. They're in a holder, uh, and when when it's called, then we take it out and we 
put it on the oven and or put in the oven or on on the uh, on the stove top and and we will finish it there uh when when it's you know at Bonaparte we have raviolis the stuff that raviolis uh with a vanilla sauce those are made fresh they're pre prepared but they're cooked fresh and minute i mean they have to be cooked uh, instantly if not uh, it, it you will not get that richness of cream and flavor i so, say so basically the you... This is not a problem that that you have leftovers that that. Oh no 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 no! no, no. We everything is done basically per me, per measure per person. As as we go, we we produce like uh, whatever whatever comes out in the system. It's called, and then we'll, we'll make it. Uh, a salad is made uh, instantly. Uh, we have our smoked salmon rolls. Those rolls, because there's beautiful rolls, uh, rosettes of salmon. Those are done. Uh, a minute, uh, as, as they're called, we rolled them out. Uh, okay. Well, uh, uh, stay on the on the line, Silvio. We're going to take a break for news here, but I want to chat a bit more with you on just general foods that are available in in restaurants in in Montreal, because I know that you you are kind of a gourmet. So we want to learn we want to learn a little bit about what's where and what's good and what's available. Okay, so I'm chatting with Silvio Sicoli. We'll be back after the news. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. All right, we are chatting with Silvio Sicoli, a Montreal restaurateur and hotelier. And we were talking first about the business of, of restaurants. But now I want to get down to uh, what is really of, of interest to our listeners here. Science of food and the taste of food, cooking, etc. Uh, you are, of course, of Italian background. Yes. Uh, so, so obviously tomatoes are a big part of your life. 100%. Correct. 100%. <laughs> All right. The stuff that we now buy in the yes. stores, yes, tastes like cardboard yes. at best. Yes. Never. What do we? <laughs> what What do we do now if we uh, want to have decent tomatoes or tomatoes to cook with? Well, first things first. Um, I would get a tomato. Uh, but it's got to be from California or from Italy. If you get something from <laughs> from the greenhouses here, they will taste as cardboard, exactly like you said. Uh, I once had, uh, I went for lunch one day, and I remember it was, it was like it was yesterday, and a very dear friend of mine, uh, an amazing chef, Joe Mercury, had made a beautiful grilled eggplant with a little bit of ricotta on top. And it was in the month of August, the end, the end of August, the beginning of September. Two weeks later, I go back to see him. And I say, can I have that same zucchini? He says, absolutely not. I said, why not? He goes, because we're out of zucchini. It's, they're not being produced anymore in Quebec. Uh, the time is done. Move on to something else. And I thought, I thought he was crazy, but I realized at the beginning, I realized that he was so right. There is a season for everything that we're going to eat. And if you're going to eat something that tastes of cardboard, better not eat it. Um, it's the same saying. We've had this this discussion myself and uh, you, Doctor uh, Joe. Um, the Italians that make those tomatoes um, in their garage, making tomato sauce for the year, I don't understand why they do that. Because for myself, 
they take these tomatoes that are half green, they'll make them get ripened in the garage, and then they're going to make their tomato sauce with these tomatoes that are basically the core of it is hard and thinking that their tomato sauce is fantastic. Uh, I don't believe, and it will never be good, as good as a tomato made in Italy uh, in a can that only ingredients is there is basil and tomato. Uh, or from California, that right now is a Villa a Valoroso, is a tomato that is coming from California. It is absolutely delicious. You can open up the can and eat it. Therefore, that tomato is like candy. There's no ingredients other than tomato and basil. Wait, what is the name again? Valoroso. And you find that in, in uh, normal grocery stores? You could find them in normal grocery stores or uh, or Moti, or you can actually have one of the most amazing tomatoes at um, at Costco called Rosso. And it is an amazing Italian tomato, uh, Rosso. Uh, and actually, I think the Rosso is made in California. Either or, either or those tomatoes, either it's from Italy or from... Which is uh, the one from Italy, the famous one from Italy? Well, there is um, Alessia. It's called a tomato called Alessia, which is amazing from Italy. Um, but any GOP tomato from Italy that is, that, again, the ingredients must say tomato, basil. If there, there's other stuff in there, forget it. Uh, so for myself uh, at home, I will never make homemade tomatoes unless it is in season, and I go to the plant, and I see that they're ripe on 100%. I will take that tomato. I will crush it. I will cut up a little bit of garlic, a little bit of onion, and olive oil, and fresh basil, and I will saute it in the pan for no more than 10 minutes. If a tomato needs to cook, I listen to some people and say, I cook my tomato sauce for 45, 50 minutes. So it's, it's, it's a tomato. What are you cooking? There's no meat inside. There's no nothing. doesn't make sense. Uh, the right way to cook a tomato uh, sauce is 15, 20 minutes. The minute it starts to cook, 15 minutes after, the tomato sauce is done. Absolutely done. Okay. Now you're going to put that sauce on pasta. Yes, of course. All right. How do you cook the pasta? I mean, I, I know that there are all kinds of opinions about it being al dente. and, and uh, Well, what, the, what... sorry, go ahead. Yeah, what do you prefer? Well, I, 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 the right way to eat tomato, to eat pasta is al dente. It's 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 what uh, the way we should be eating. I mean, as, I'm I'm not a doctor, but according to what what my beliefs are, is that if the pasta is overcooked in your stomach, it's going to swell up even more. If the pasta is al dente, uh, by the time you finish digesting it, it's not swelling up as much as uh, you actually feel a lot lighter when you're eating your pasta al dente. Um, now, and, do, you, do you do you let the water boil first before you put in the pasta? hundred percent. So I will make my water boil. I will salt my water like a soup. So people say, "Well, what, it's going to be too salty." No, I will salt it. Basically, it has to. You have to taste a little bit of salt. If you don't, the, the water will not. The salt will not penetrate in the pasta. If it's a dry pasta, it should be anywhere from seven to. Eight minutes. If it's a fresh pasta, two minutes and a half, and it's done. Now I have a lot of friends who who kind of think that they're gourmets, you know, and <laughs> Welcome and they to the world of they, TikTok. Uh, yeah, and they it, it, they tell me that the only way to eat pasta is fresh pasta, and the stuff that you buy dried is is useless. Uh, that's not true. 
that there's amazing, amazing Del Verde. There's, there's so many beautiful, fresh uh, dry pasta that I would challenge anybody on the higher end, dry pasta, barile. There's so many amazing uh, Del Fiore. There's many amazing Italian pastas that are dry, that are fantastic. I would challenge them any day. Aurora makes an egg-dry pasta that's three minutes, max four minutes, boiled. Once the water boils, you put it in, it comes out. It's amazing, absolutely amazing. Is fresh pasta spectacular? Yes. It depends what kind of fresh pasta. If you're going to make penny or you're going to make rigatoni, I I doubt it very much that anybody should be using it fresh unless you make it and you're eating it instantly. But in a restaurant, you should never have fresh rigatoni, fresh penny, because it doesn't hold the same way a, a dry one does. All right. Well, let's get down to the important stuff. Pizza. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you make that at home? Yes, of course. We'll make Napolitan-style pizza. Which yeah. means? Well, it's basically Napolitan-style. It has a cornichon all around. And so when you make your, when you make your batter, uh, you have to make, uh, you, you make your, uh, so you're making four cups of flour. You start your two cups of flour with yeast. You make it rise just the two cups. And after an hour, hour and a half, I finalize it with two more cups of flour. So now it's it's the other two cups that started are very strong. With uh, So it brings it up. You uh, you make it sit. I, I, I like to go 72 hours in the fridge, a levitation, and then I'll take it out. And then I'll make my pizza. I'll make it sit on the counter. And as it sits on the counter, uh, two and a half, three hours after uh, room temperature, I will make my uh, my pizza. And a Napolitan style pizza it has to have a nice thick border all around. And uh, what goes on? Uh, on top, very very simple for me. Um, it is uh, amazing tomatoes, Valoroso or uh, Alessio, Alessia or Rosso. It's got to be an amazing tomato because it's all in the tomato. And what I will do is I'll put uh, in my, I will, the tomatoes, I will crush them. I will put a little bit of garlic, uh, fresh garlic, grated fresh garlic, salt, pepper, and some cut uh, basil. I'll turn olive oil, must. So you mean you, I, you, you put sliced tomatoes, not tomato sauce? No, 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 tomato in my tomato sauce. In my tomato, my tomato sauce, when I make my pizza, I mix it. I put tomatoes, obviously. I put uh, salt, pepper, garlic, and olive oil. I'll, I'll turn it, and then I'll put it directly on my uh, pizza. One of our listeners wants to know whether or not Hawaiian pizza should be made illegal. <laughs> they will kill you if you go to Italy. <laughs> good, good, but it's actually look, it's everything. I, you know what I tell my staff, and I and I. We are paid to serve them, not to educate them. If you go to a restaurant and says, well, you shouldn't be doing that. No, I should be doing what I want because I'm paying for that food. I won't give you ketchup to put on a, on a pizza, but if that's what you want, I, we are paid to serve them, not to educate them. Some people will not will tell you, do not put cheese on a spaghetti vongoli. Why? Or linguine vongoli. Why? Well, it's because it doesn't go. Well, I like it. Okay, Silvio, we're going to take a break here to check traffic, but I want to get back to you because we need to talk also buco. Ah, Okay, you're listening to the Dr. Joe Show. 
We'll be right back. Okay, we're back with Silvio Sicoli, who is a Montreal restaurateur and hotelier. We are talking food, and we were talking pizza. <clears throat> Silvio, yes, doctor. We got to take a couple more bites out of pizza. Oh, do we take so a bite out of? Do we take a bite out of frozen pizza? Oh, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, no, that's I, yeah. I thought I, look, that that would be the answer. Uh, no. All right. Where where if you want to get good pizza in Montreal, where do you go? It's it's look for myself. It's not fair to say because everybody that works very hard, everybody does a great job. But for myself, I'm a firm believer. It depends if you're looking for a pizza Italian Roman style. Um, there's Ugo in uh, in the old Montreal. There's another place in La Salle called um, Ready Pizza. That's a Roman style pizza. It's 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 amazing because it's cooked and then it's left uh, on the counter and you buy it by slice. But if you're looking for the traditional uh, Italian style pizza, wishes with very little ingredients, not too many ingredients, I definitely am a firm believer that I love uh, uh, Moretti on Wellington. They do a, an amazing job on on their pizza. Or or Melrose uh, in NDG. They they I, these are two of my favorite that I'm very 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 much impressed. All right, now let's get down to Osobuko. Yes. <laughs> I I uh, I think I told you my background is Hungarian, so I, I like to do Hungarian style cooking, and I do make a, a dish with veal um, uh, shank. Yes. And um, ba- basically, what I do, I I, I um, saute onions. Uh, then I put in the the shank and quickly turn it until it's brown on both sides. Then I add diced tomatoes, diced green pepper, uh, garlic, and of course paprika, and uh, add a little water just to to cover it. Uh, although not much because the vegetables will release water. And I slowly simmer until the the meat is uh, is soft. Uh, to me, this is one of the the best meals. Now. It differs somewhat from osobuco, right? Yes, yes. So, okay. So, how would you? What's the difference? I mean, osobuco is also made uh, with veal shank, right? Yes. Well, it, it, it's 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 a little bit. The, when you're talking the shank, it's you're talking about the uh, the, the the osobuco. It's 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 the portion of the shank a little bit further down then then are you using is it, are you using like are they round or are is it a little they're bit round. taller they're round okay so round, it is round. The yeah. rounds okay yeah. um the way we do it is we salt them salt pepper and a little bit of flour and then we pass it on the, the, the pan the same way uh just to make it get a little bit of crisp then we take our uh our celery carrots uh we add a little bit of uh, garlic uh we saute it and uh, put it in the pan, and we'll have uh, a little bit of uh, of water or chicken stock, and uh, we oven it. And when it's halfway, we'll put some crushed tomatoes. Uh, and it'll it'll you'll need for a, a, a shank uh, for osobuco. You will need anywhere from three and a half to four hours for it to be uh, to be tender and to be nice. Uh, I mean, in so. in the oven, in the yes. oven for yeah, we do it that in the long? oven. Yeah, yeah. 
the right really? place in the oven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't and do it what, on a fry. What temperature? Uh, an osobuco should be at around 375, 400 uh, degrees for around three and a half, four hours. And when you do it in the oven like that, the, the moisture doesn't evaporate? No, 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 no. no. I, I, all my osobugos okay. are all done in the oven. We never do it on a, on a pan. Uh, we sear it. Uh, and then we'll oven it. But again, it all depends based on how the, your temperature is. Some, some ovens are 375, 400 uh, is, is, takes a little bit longer, and some are not because some are not really calibrated. Uh, mm-hmm. Some ovens are a little bit more stronger, and some are, are not as strong as others. Uh, but ours, uh, I know myself, when I do Osabuku at home, it takes that three and a half, four hours. I leave it slowly, slowly, slowly in the oven. It'll it'll just fall right off the bone. Now, something else that comes up often, questions about cooking, aside from the food, is what we cook in and what we cut the food with. That is Uh knives and pots and pans, right? Which are a critical part uh, in the restaurant kitchen. Yes. So what, what are the the pots that that you use because i know that that uh, a lot of chefs uh, favor copper pots uh, mostly you know lined with tin on the inside but they like we, the way that copper transmits heat we 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 use copper some aluminum some stainless steel uh based on um, what or i mean cast also is is is, is amazing uh for uh, to if you want to char your steak, um, but uh, it's 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 a preference of of, of uh, in my in my restaurants I have a bit of both and some chefs will rather one versus the other. Uh, chefs are very much uh, artists and uh, and they are it's it's an art to cook is an art and and it's it's all about chemistry. Uh, there's some chefs that are better than others because they understand the chemistry behind what goes with what. Uh, today in the, in the cuisine, uh, they would like to make something out of the box. When they make something out of the box, you're going, okay, keep it simple. The pasta and garlic is pasta and garlic. <laughs> it's not, you know, you're trying to add a whole bunch of different things. It's just pasta with garlic. Or, you know, if you're if you're if you like to have a, a, a filet mignon, it's you can make it in so many other ways, but keep it simple. And 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 people will enjoy it. Less is more in a, in, in in the kitchen. Now, talking about the garlic, yeah. do you chop it or do you use the flat side of the knife to smash it? It depends on what I'm doing. If I'm if I'm doing it in a uh, in an osobuco, I will uh, either grate it or or smash. It. But most most of the time, I will grate it just to enhance more of the flavor in there. Um, but if I'm making a pasta aglio olio, I will smash it and then I will cut it uh, just so the oils come out. Uh, as 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 quickly as possible, and 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 to have more flavor of it. And I like to see it flat. I like to see it in the in the uh, in the pasta rather than not seeing it in the pasta melt away, uh, which is the osobuco. Now talking about Italian cooking, I mean obviously we have to mention the oil, <clears throat> which yeah. I assume has to be extra virgin olive oil. It has to be extra virgin olive oil, uh, and there's an expiry date on oil. What people don't understand. Um, and, and, and it has to be in a dark bottle because if it's not in a dark glass bottle, then it becomes rancid and, 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 and there's so much 
uh, about olive oil that, that you could learn, but the best is what you like. It's not what someone tries to educate you. And is there a lot happening with olive oil? Oh, my God. There's so much out there that, that today you look and you say, okay, is it really olive oil? Um, believe it or not, one of the best olive oils it, it, is a Costco. Costco has an amazing olive oil. So they, they, they have a very, for the price, it's an excellent olive oil. Oh, that's good to know because I know yeah. there's a lot of fraud, right, in the so business. So much fraud in olive of... oil. It's, it's crazy. Um, it's really, really crazy. Uh, uh, the Greeks make an amazing olive oil. Uh, it's, it's, you know, when it's good, it's amazing. So what uh, so what should a what should a, a liter of good quality extra virgin olive oil cost? Anywhere from eighteen to twenty four dollars. Okay, it's so it's not it's, cheap. It's not a, but but, it's, it, but yeah, but it's not not exorbitant. No, it's not, not exorbitant. No. no. Okay, no, I have one you, last question. Sure. One last question here that a listener wants to know: whether or not you watch any of the cooking shows on TV. And what you think of people like Gordon Ramsay and the other celebrity chefs? I, I, a lot of a lot of stuff is staged, that's for sure. But I, I, I watch. That's all I watch. Either Animal Planet or Cooking, which is uh, my favorite. I can talk food. Well, we spoke food, uh, me and you, doctor, for 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 the whole time that we were there uh, together, uh, judging and before and after. And when I said bye to you, I can talk food. I can talk about the chemistry. I can talk about my business. I just have a passion. Yes, absolutely. Watch all of them. I love them all. They're they're although a lot of stuff is staged, I still think that you have to love what you do to be in this business. Well, you obviously do, right? And uh, and not only uh, you know, are you good at uh, running restaurants and hotels, but you obviously know your food. So it really was a pleasure talking to you, Silvio. And we'll have to have you back sometime because there's so much interesting stuff to talk about when it comes to cooking and uh, eating. And one thing we humans all have in common is that we all eat. And we all love to talk about what we eat, what we should have eaten, what we will eat next time. It's a great topic of conversation. So thanks a lot for joining us. Well, I want to thank the listeners also for taking the time to listen to uh, to uh, this beautiful topic. So, and thank you very much, Doctor, and the radio station for having. Thanks me on. very much, Silvio. And have a blessed Thanks. Sunday to everybody. Okay, and that is it. We are flat out of time, uh, but we'll be back with you same time, same station next week. Until then, I'm Joe Schwartz, hoping all the chemistry in your life comes out right. And uh, bon appetit. My mouth is wetted for pizza. Bye.